I'm Laura Stasi, and this is Dating While Gray, the grown-up's guide to love, sex, and relationships. On this episode, the pivotal moments that lead to a decision to pursue love. I heard from a woman who told me about the time she was living in Paris and bought all the fixings for a romantic Valentine's meal that she prepared and ate by herself. At first, she thought maybe it was kind of pathetic. Then again, no expectations, no disappointments, she wrote. Just me, myself, and I, and all three of us like it that way. I think it's admirable, maybe even brave, that this uncoupled listener wasn't hiding out on the most romantic day on the calendar in one of the most romantic cities in the world. Clearly, she's gotten comfortable with embracing her single life. But you know what? I sometimes think I've gotten too comfortable in my single life, and that's why I'm not making any effort to recouple. A comfortable life means no discomfort, and without discomfort, there's no motivation to change. We all know change can be hard, And change can be stressful, even good change like landing a great new job, moving to a fabulous neighborhood, even taking a vacation you've been looking forward to for weeks. All of that takes work. I began to think of personal change as more of a process when I heard the saying, change is hard in the beginning, messy in the middle, and glorious in the end. But the thing that sparks the change, that can be instant, like flipping a light switch and poof, from dark to light. So I haven't encountered that moment where I've stepped out of my single life comfort zone to declare, yes, now it's time to pursue love. But Eva Marie has. She's in her mid-50s and she's never been married, even though she's had serious relationships. She just assumed she'd get married one day because doesn't everybody? Then a few years ago, Eva Marie lost her job and both of her parents and she struggled for a while. She's much better now, and it was after she got back on her feet that she had one of those light switch moments that motivated her to pursue love. Where I grew up in Pennsylvania is very, let's say, marriage-centric, and especially even in college, I'd say within the first year or two of graduating, it was wedding after wedding after wedding. And yeah, I did just naturally assume that would be me at some point. And after college, moved to D.C., and was in D.C. for about 24 years and, uh, you know, had my career here in journalism. And then in 2010, moved back to Pennsylvania to take care of my father. Mm. Uh, Mom had died in 2010. And then dad had a heart attack not too long after she passed. The doctors did not want him to live alone anymore. And I was at a point where I was disgusted with D.C. <laughs> and uh, Disgusted. I had been laid off twice in three years. Oh. This was around the time of the Great Recession and just decided, what am I doing here? Six months later, my dad died. Oh. I started to struggle big time financially which also resulted, you know, in some emotional struggles, some health struggles, all kinds of things. I, you know, I figured that if I were to date anybody, it would just kind of happen organically, but it it didn't. You'd moved to Pennsylvania and your dad died six months later, but you stayed there for a while. I did. And it was largely because I had just moved. And I thought, you know, I did this big upheaval of my life. I didn't feel like doing another big upheaval of my life six months later. And, and honestly, there was a part of me that was really glad to be out of D.C. Yes. 
I remember a friend of mine asking me, you know, what would it take to get you to come back here? And I said, the job of a lifetime, that or love. What brought you back? And The job of a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what made me think of this previous boyfriend. And this was the one back when I was 27, whom I had I'd fallen madly for and everything. We had been Facebook friends at one point, And then all of a sudden, he just kind of disappeared from Facebook. And I didn't know what, what had happened. So just in a, you know, sentimental mood or whatever, I Googled him and found his obituary. Oh. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. I was surprised at how hard it hit me. Sometime after that, I just remember, you know, thinking to myself about him and about situations and about life because we're not getting any younger. And I kind of mm -hmm. thought to myself, what are you doing? You think you want to be in a relationship, but you're not trying. So that's where the online thing started. In the first week, I had four first dates. Awesome. I, I told friends, I'm like, you might want to play the lottery because I've got a date tonight. There's been a disturbance in the force. <laughs> so this guy and I decided we would meet for lunch uh, near my office. So he was a little touchy, but by that I mean, you know, like when someone will just like touch your arm mm -hmm. or something, which I have no problem with. And I was, this was my first date in a long time. He walked me to the metro uh, so I could get back to my office and he gave me a, a good long kiss goodbye. Tongue? No tongue. And it was fine. Like he held my hand walking to the metro and I was okay with that. Then he was still like texting me throughout the day and mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I, I'm trying to work. And, um, you know, he's like, um, you know, so were you happy with the way that first date went? And, and, you know, he's like, so, you know, what do you like to do, like, intimately and things like oh. that? <laughs> so by the time I got home and I got a text from him later on that night, he came right out and asked me, so how often do you like to have intercourse? Did he say have intercourse? Yeah. <laughs> how often do you like to have intercourse? I would be more inclined to answer if he had said something less technical. Yeah. <laughs> I said, wow, you really put it out there, don't you? You are one horny guy. And he said, sensual. I'm sensual. <laughs> He's like, you know, I don't like to beat around the bush and, and all this other, so to speak. <laughs> oh, my God. Figuratively speaking. Figuratively speaking. He even came right out one time and said, when do you see us sleeping together for the first time? Oh, my God. And How long was your first date? One lunch. It, it oh. might have been an hour because I had a meeting I had to get back for. The third one, um, he brought his dog, and we met over at the dog park near where I live. Oh. And that turned into a really fun day. Uh, we then ended up having lunch and then, then just ended up having a nice conversation. And that uh, went into like a six-hour date. Yeah. Wow. So dog date guy has now ghosted me completely. Oh. Yeah. And What's with ghosting? I don't Can't know. Can't you just say? Which... The last guy whom I met who happened to be a widower, and I said, I'd like to take you out to dinner to celebrate your retirement. He's like, oh, that would be lovely Aww. and everything. So I said, when I come back from my weekend away, you yeah. know, we can connect and make plans. And in the interim, he had sent me a text just saying, hey, just saying hello. How are you doing? And everything like that. Oh. I know. So I had gotten in touch with him and said, hey, um, you know, I'd like to you know, decide where we can go to celebrate your retirement. And he said, you know, I know this isn't the answer that you're expecting. He met somebody whom he was very interested in and wanted to focus his attention on. Aww. And he hoped that I would understand. And it was so considerate of my feelings and right. so respectful that I decided that if there's people whom I meet on this thing that I don't want to pursue, that I'm going to follow his lead. Right. So I got on again and... 
uh, met some more people. One of them was a man who was really interested in, he, you know, kind of like me, likes to go out and try new things, do stuff, was really interested in craft beer, which is something I'm also interested in, and said he was looking for something casual. Mm-hmm. We started corresponding, and he did seem very nice, um, smart. Mm-hmm. And so he comes out and he says, so you know that I'm looking for something casual, right? And I said, yeah, that's what you said. And he goes, well, I'm married. <gasps> Yeah. What? Yeah. Doesn't say that anywhere in his profile. Loveless marriage, open marriage. Um, She lives overseas. We're not getting divorced because it's going to cost us too much money. So there was another guy on there. The way his profile was written kind of, it was something like, I won't judge you if you don't judge me. And I was like, I bet he's married and I just have to find (laughs) out for myself. So I, I swiped on him. And he came right out then and said that, well, I am married. And I was like, well, I ex- expected that. But his wife, this, <laughs> God. Oh. So he's married and she's sick. I had met somebody else on there who was not married, fortunately, but then said he was going through a divorce and it wasn't going very well and just had this big tale of woe. And I just kind of decided, okay, I'm done. If you wind up by yourself. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Yeah. Well, it's going to have to be, for one thing. (laughs) It's going to have to be. Mm -hmm. I have a good life. You know, I have a lot of female friends who are my age and older who are single Mm -hmm. and uh, don't see that changing and don't really want it to change. Mm -hmm. You know, some who have been previously married um, more than once, some who just never decided they just didn't want to get married. You know, they'd like to date, but they don't really want to be married. Mm -hmm. We get together. We look out for each other. When you're like at the end of a wonderful day where you spent by yourself Mm -hmm. and you're in bed at night, what is your biggest, I guess, fear? Does everybody say dying alone? Because (laughs) it's just somebody to hold your hand, somebody to talk to. Somebody to talk to and somebody to connect with on that level. It's funny when I when I think about it, and you know, including my deceased um, former boyfriend, I guess I could say that there have been like three great loves of my life. I felt like I was understood and I felt like I was known. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I knew somebody, you know, and just it was a special connection and a special feeling that I wish everybody could have. Love makes you an outrageous optimist. You mm. think everything is possible. And you think that everyone should find this and have this and you want everyone to have it. And if for whatever reason it doesn't work out, it's it can be devastating. Um, you know that old saying about, uh, you know, it's better to have love and loss than have never loved at all. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but ultimately it's better to have love and kept. Eva Marie's online dating experiences, oh, it can be hard to stay motivated after so much disappointment. And in fact, Eva Marie told me she's gone offline and isn't ready to get back on. Instead, she's concentrating on making new friends and bringing them into her already established circle. Eva Marie might be giving up on online dating, but I'd like to think she's not giving up on finding a forever partner. She knows what she wants and she needs a little time for herself, which I think is a healthy thing to do. Pace yourself, people. And when you're rested and ready, get back on it. Speaking of breaks, we're going to take a quick one. Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, 
May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. One of the most beautiful parts of creating Dating While Gray is finding and connecting whole communities of gray daters. You are essential to Dating While Gray. Your stories power this podcast and your support makes it possible for us to keep producing new episodes. You can give right now by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to wamu.org. Thank you. Maybe the pursuit of love feels more urgent as we get older. And that urgency might feel amplified if we've lost a partner to death instead of divorce. And that brings me to Mark. I actually went on a blind date with Mark. We weren't the right fit, but how great is it that he agreed to be interviewed for this podcast? Mark is a widower. He and his first wife, Nancy, were together almost 35 years, had two kids. Nancy was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis early in the marriage, but it wasn't until the last few years of her life that the disease really progressed and she needed a caregiver. Mark expected he would outlive Nancy, but he was stunned when she died two weeks after a simple bladder infection led to a downward spiral. Unexpectedly, Mark found new love fairly quickly. Here's my conversation with Mark, starting with him talking about a former co-worker named Jeanette. She had um, read in the, um, in the obituary, Nancy's obituary in the paper, uh-huh. and had come to the funeral. Mm-hmm. And um, so we you know, went out to lunch and... Um, she uh, invited me over to her house for her, she was having a, her 50th birthday party. Mm. So after that, we started, you know, going to lunch more frequently. And then um, we started dating. Mm-hmm. And so her birthday was in May. So really by September, I think, um, it was pretty clear that we were, you know. A couple. A couple. And this was what, four months after? Um, Nancy died in March. Okay. Uh, so it was, you know, yeah. six months or so, seven mm-hmm. months. Um, and were your kids okay with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all they wanted to know was how old she was. Yeah. Six months, you realized it was serious. And is that when you started talking about marriage? Um, we hadn't really talked about it. It just, um, uh, one day, a, so by September, I think we were really a couple. Mm-hmm. And um, then about um, Thanksgiving, it just, we were, you know, together and just came into my head. And I said, uh, and really, I, I didn't actually propose. I said, well, what do you think about getting married again? Mm-hmm. And she said, she looked at me and said, are you asking me to marry you? And I thought, thought for a minute. I said, well, yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> and she said, God, I, never, I vowed I'd never do it again. Oh. You know, because her, her first marriage was... Not know, good. Not good, yeah. She said, but okay. So that was it. Right. Yeah. So when did you get married? Um, we got married in August of 13. She had developed this cough. At first, it was treated like it was an allergy thing, because that was one of the signs of symptoms of some of her allergies, Right, was this cough. And it just wouldn't go away. So I, I said, look, you know, why don't we just, you know, let's talk to your allergist. So we got married in August, August 3rd, came back from my honeymoon, and she had um, a lung biopsy, called us back, you know, a week later. And said it's lung cancer. Uh, and what is going through your head? More, I was more concerned about her because as we had been dating, one of her big concerns, big concerns, 
was that she did not want to be my second invalid wife. And that's how she put it. You know, so, you know, she did not want to be that way. You know, my mind being the, uh, you know, sort of the, the fixer kind of person, uh, you know, my focus is on, all right, what do we need to do mm-hmm. to treat this and beat this? It, it was stage four. Mm. Um, it had, and the way the doctor put it meant that it had evolved the lung, the, the chest wall. Right. So the first round of chemo was, um, we had, had apparently had gone well and we got really good reports. So that August of 14, just a year um, after we got married, um, uh, the cancer had come back. And this time it came back um, aggressively. It lasted two weeks and she died mm. you know, December uh, 3rd. I'm so sorry. I thought I had been prepared for hospice at home. Mm-hmm. It was the most difficult, gut-wrenching thing I had ever done. You know, watching her die and, um, and having to deal with family, you know, on, uh, you know, on her family, I was pretty much of a wreck after she died. Yeah. And um, Were you ever thinking, and it's totally legit if you are, it's like, why me? Men typically don't live as long as women, and you have outlived two wives. My feeling was life is life. God has, you know, God doesn't do things to us. God allows life to go on and, and, you know, helps us out as we need it when, you know, stuff happens. In many respects, um, Jeanette was that um, proverbial soulmate. I mean, we had so much in common. We had the same likes, the same desires, you know. So you went to counseling and that helped you with coping with grief. Yeah, tremendous. It it was individual counseling as well as as, um, group. And and in that, I learned that um, it was very helpful because I learned that people grieve in dramatically different ways. What have you thought about dating since then or what, what, what's your strategy? Oh, I tell you, I I have been, I've been, um, I know you've been on one blind date. Yeah. I've been on, I've been on a bunch. Oh, I'm not special. You know, you were, I think you were my first, my my first, yeah. Blind date. Yes. Well, in the modern age, (laughs) you know, (laughs) in the modern age, um, I have spent um, huge amounts of money on, you know, dinners and lunches. I've been ghosted so much, I feel like Casper. Oh, seriously? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, I have to ask, do people, are um, women a little intimidated by the fact that you are twice widowed, do you think? or? Uh, God, we never, I don't think we ever get far enough to make, for me to find that out. This is my philosophy, and this is what I've done, and I think yes. I do. Yes. Just say, I'm sorry, you're a nice person, I don't feel like this is going to go anywhere, so the end. How hard is that? The closest I've come to that is one woman said that she just didn't like the way I drove and just couldn't see her sitting in a car with me, whether she was driving or not, for any long distance. I said, Wow. Okay. Oh, but wow. I do have to say on these, one of the things about these dating sites, and, and maybe it's, it's peculiar to men um, more than women, is the number of the pings I get from women who are in like their 30s. What? Who's in, and this last one was this woman in her mid-38, I think is what she said on her site. And the pictures were of, she lived in Texas, but very voluptuous. And the only thing I could think of was, you know, looking at this picture of this woman is what possibly makes you think 
<laughs> that a guy who's almost 68 is going to think that a, guy, a woman who is 38 wants him. You know, unfortunately, there are, you know, there are these people out there who are preying on, you know, single, single adults, single seniors. It's not uncommon for me to get um, um, pings, you know, flirts, likes from um, women who, at least according to the picture, mm-hmm. are, you know, closer to my age. Mm-hmm. But they live in some place in New York or Minnesota or California. Have you thought about like joining groups or like meetups or? I've done some meetups, started taking classes um, this semester. I'm taking beekeeping and sustainability in the environmental sciences program. And I'm taking visual thinking in the art history. So I'm taking a genealogy class on Saturdays and I'm gonna take a class in Caribbean cooking. Oh, wow. You know, so, you know, I'm out there. And you have, it sounds like you have a full life. Yeah. Um, are, are you okay with, have you thought, well, you know what? I might be by myself the rest of my life and I, that's okay with me. Um, I do not like the idea of being, spending the rest of my life alone. I, you know, honestly, I do not like that idea. I don't like doing things alone. I don't like traveling alone. I've done it. I don't care for it. I don't like dining out alone. Um, I've done it. I don't care for it. What are you looking for? In a long-term partner? Maybe part of my problem is I don't have a good answer for that. I'll know it when it happens. Right. And if it doesn't, then perhaps God's just got a different plan for me. After our interview, Mark had a little better luck. He met a woman at church, and they went out occasionally for a few months. Mark thought things were going well, but when the woman decided there was no romantic spark, that hit Mark hard. He said now, at the age of 69, finding love seems more urgent and also more elusive. He wrote me an email, and this is what he said. One thing I've discovered over the past few years is that there is a distinct difference between dating now and in my youth. When I was young, life was fully ahead of me. If a relationship didn't work out, no big deal. There were plenty of other women, and I have all the time in the world to find the right one. At this point in my life, I know that there are many, many more years behind me than in front of me, and each failed relationship seems to bring that into focus. As time and failed relationships go by, I find myself thinking that meeting someone with whom I can have a serious, committed relationship isn't going to happen, and that is discouraging. I haven't given up hope. I'm just finding it more and more difficult. I'm sorry, Mark. I can't imagine how difficult it must be to endure the loss of two partners. And each time a new connection doesn't pan out, we bleed a little. But one of the things I love about Dating While Gray is the stories are personal and also universal. They make us feel a little less alone. And Mark, I just want you to know you are not alone. Hello, uh, Laura. This is Alan and... um I've been thinking of these questions, um, and actually I'm in a men's group that uh, has several single men and several married men, but it's about eight of us, and um, the questions of being alone the rest of our lives have has come up, and loneliness. I think it's important to talk about these things and to listen to other people. Uh, my name's Jim. There are many people, uh, myself included, that it's been very difficult for. 
Pursuing love takes time and patience. And in those times, it helps to know we're not alone. You know what else might help? Hearing a story with a happy ending. That's next. This week, I'd love for you to persuade a friend to listen to Dating While Gray. You definitely know someone trying to navigate love, sex, and relationships. Pause the episode right now and text them the link to datingwhilegray.com along with an episode you think they'd like. Thanks. This is a story about a man named Gerard. He got married when he was a young Marine finishing college. They had kids and then got divorced. After that, Gerard dated steadily, even had some serious relationships, but nothing permanent. And then one day when Gerard was 49, he just happened to be watching an episode of The Oprah Winfrey Show. And there was a segment where Dr. Oz was talking about colon cancer. Gerard realized he had some of the symptoms and he had a bad feeling. So he made an appointment with his doctor and in fact, he was diagnosed with colon cancer. But in case you're worried that this is another sad story, stick with me. The cancer diagnosis is Gerard's turning point. He reevaluates the purpose of his social life. Okay, who you are? When you sit down with a doctor and your name and cancer are in the same sentence, watch how you change. You get a different perception. Well, at least I got a different perception about time and that whatever I do, the most valuable thing I have is my time. So knowing how I wanted to live the rest of my life generally with someone, start to think when I attracted me to women when I was in my 20s and 30s and 40s are not the same things now. But I need to know about your spiritual connection. And I don't mean someone who reads the Bible every day, but someone who has at least a firm belief in a higher power. It can be Buddha, whatever it is, as long as you believe in it and you show it in some kind of way that you have a spiritual connection with this universe that we live in. Gerard doesn't just want a date. He wants a committed partner. He wants happily ever after. So he works up a profile and goes online. Since I dated a couple of people here, but I realized that our goals were not the same. Where I was focusing, where I wanted to focus at, it wasn't happening. And the communication wasn't happening like I wanted it to happen. Uh, some of it was my fault. And uh, I realized what my errors were by not putting what I wanted or was looking for out front and being decisive about it. Gerard keeps at it. While he's plugging away, a woman named Robin is also online. Like Gerard, Robin had been married young. She got divorced when her daughter was little and then really didn't date much at all. She wanted to wait until her daughter left for college. And now her daughter's moved out and Robin's interested in meeting someone for a long-term relationship, but she's not having much luck. You would think, at least my friends think I would meet people in the profession that I am. And I have met some, but it just didn't stick. Um, So I decided to go online. And I dated a couple of people online, but again, we weren't on the same page. We, We had some things in common, but the things that were important to me didn't seem to be important to them. I am very close to not only my daughter, not only because she's a certain, the only child, but I'm also close. I have uh, four brothers. The other thing was important to me is um, I like to uh, prepare. It wasn't so much talking about, are you ready to get married again? Or I didn't even bring those subjects up, but it was like, what is your future like? 
Robin gets discouraged. She decides that when her online subscription expires in a few months, she's going to give it up altogether. And then she stumbles across Gerard's online profile. And, you know, I looked at his page a couple of times. I really dove into his profile and I'm like, is this guy for real? One thing he's really into um, fitness. I mean, mind, soul, you know, what you eat close to his mom. Okay, that's a biggie because it it shows how he's going to treat you. And then the other thing is that although I'm not into it, he loves old movies. You know, he had, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm about. And if you're interested, then, you know, hit me up. So I wonder if he's really, you know, he's really for real. And then (laughs) I said, okay, let me, let me um, hit him up. We probably, I would say maybe went back and forth one line, maybe about three or four, four times. And then we actually exchanged telephone numbers. Yes. And we talked and we decided we wouldn't meet. So we said, okay, I'm like, let's meet somewhere informal, you know, something informal where we can go and we can just maybe have a, a soft drink point. or whatever. And in this way, if it wasn't, you know, okay. if we had no connection there, right. no hard feelings, he's not paying for a meal and, and that sort of thing. This is the thing. I was there first and I waited <laughs> uh, 15 minutes. I, I he's late. No, no, no. I, I went to the wrong part of Tyson's. I went okay. to the... Yeah. I thought, thought, okay. thought it was on the other one. I, okay. But you the, the one who identified, you the one who said, let's I knew, go to but I was wrong about where it was. I knew. <laughs> and I thought I you wrong. picked it. You knew where it was at. So anyway, I thought I knew. When he walked in, I immediately knew it was him because he looked like his photo. I Okay. I was like, okay, he's attractive. You know, he's late, but yeah, he's attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Did she look like her pictures? which was great. Uh, I saw that I could tell by her body style and everything that she probably ran track in college or well, high school because the way she was built up. She was it dressed. was in the summertime. So it was, it was in summertime. like July. It was, it was summertime. July, yeah. And we got to talking. And I knew there was a possibility of a relationship because, one, on this particular day, the air conditioning in that part of the Tyson Small was dead. And we stayed and we talked to each other for about two hours. That let me know, okay, it was a natural rhythm, a natural wanting to be around each other. And then she, when she went to the bathroom, I looked at her going to the bathroom. I said, okay, <laughs> cool. And she came back and uh, we were talking and talking and talking about various things, family, seemed really nice. And uh, I said, okay, so this is, I like her. And November, Thanksgiving, we were at my brother's house. Um, my brother lives in North Carolina. We went down to my brother's house, and he was doing the turkey like we had been together for years. Everyone that I met that knew her always talked about how great a person she was. Her style of dress, because I, I, I like to dress. <laughs> and I needed someone that liked to dress. And then she likes to dance, and I like to dance. So those are so good things. Then we have had yeah. a lot of good things we had in common. At first, it was. I mean, when you're used to being the the sole, the breadwinner who's taking care of everything as a single single parent, you're just used to doing things and and having control and saying and that sort of thing. So, meeting him and being he's very dom- <laughs> he's very dominant, very male, alpha male, and so it took a moment, 
But I think we've kind of worked through that and we talk through it. And every now and then he will bring things to my attention that to stop acting like his mom. Um, And so that was something we talked about. And I recognize that because that's just how I am with my brothers. Yeah, but there's a certain place where you should be my mom. I want you to be my mom, (laughs) like when I'm sick. Okay. And the fact that you have been in remission for how many, how many years, a well, long yeah, I time. Remember, I met you in 16. I had the cancer back when I was 49. Right. I was, and so you're, like, over right. Over 10 years. So it was over and 10 years. So, yeah. Every day I wake up, I literally, every day I wake up, I look out, I thank God. I look at the day, I look and see what's different. What's different in the sky today than wasn't there yesterday. That's how I do within myself. I don't tell a lot of people that, but that's what I do. Because I appreciate every day that I'm here. I, I, I didn't know you say. were going to go on that long. I knew what I had to say. I knew what I had to say. I, I had a plan of attack. You were not an accident. <laughs> when I met with Gerard and Robin, they were living in Robin's house and making plans to get married. Well, guess what? They've tied the knot, and in about a month, they're going to celebrate their one-year wedding anniversary. Also, they've just moved into a home that they bought together. You know what I love about this story besides a happy ending and besides the fact that you can hear the love in their voices? I love that Gerard had this revelation in his late 40s and he didn't meet Robin until he's in his early 60s. And all those years in between, he stays focused. He may veer off track, but he gets back on. He's true to himself and to the decision that he made. The pursuit of love is that important to him. I'm going to remember Gerard's patience, especially since patience is typically not my strong suit. After all, love takes time. Dating While Gray is produced by Ponzi Rutch, Patrick Fort, Ruth Tam, Julia Karen, and me, Laura Stasi. Our theme music is by Daniel Peterschmidt, and Mike Kidd mixes the show. WAMU's general manager is J.J. Yore, and Andy McDaniel oversees everything we make here. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to datingwhilegray at wamu.org or follow us on Facebook. Search for Dating While Gray and like the Facebook page. Or you can see what I'm up to on Twitter, at Dating While Gray. And of course, leave a voicemail, 202-895-GRAY. That's G-R-A-Y. Dating While Gray would not be possible without the support of WAMU's members. Donate now at wamu.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more stories of Dating While Gray. Dating While Gray.